I saw this thing that said, once you can, once you master self-control and detachment, no one can phase you. And I just stared at that for a second. And I had a voice in my head saying like, this is important. This, you should talk about this. Hello and welcome to Sleeved and Spiritual Podcast. I'm your host, Cecily Searles. This podcast is all about the relatable journey with me. I will be talking about everything from having gastric sleeve surgery to spirituality to being a mom and everything in between. Follow along for some fun, vulnerability, and hopefully some inspiration and information you never knew you needed. Let's get started. In this episode, I talk about my sexual assault and the aftermath and the what it's done to my mental health and court trials and stuff like that. So if you are not mentally prepared to listen to something like that, I suggest you come back to this later and go listen to something happier. But if you are ready to listen to this, It gets a little rough, but we can get through this together. Enjoy. Hello and good morning. I am sitting in my Harry Potter closet like I did last season. However, it is not what it looked like back in the day. Um, I started doing nails full time again. I don't know if I said that in the first episode, but... After I got out of the Navy, I went to school to become a nail technician, and then I did nails in, uh, when we lived in Washington. And then when we moved to California, I stopped doing nails because then I uh, got my certification in breathwork and coaching and then kind of just went down that path. And then when we moved here to Italy, um, it was hard to have clients because a lot of them were in the States and the time differences and then there's a lot of like personal reasons why I wanted to stop coaching for a little bit. But anyways, I need to do, I need to, to get some money. And, um, I started doing nails again. So long story short, my husband made the Harry Potter closet into a salon. So I'm sitting in my nail salon right now. Um, so it doesn't have as good of acoustics as it did because there's not as much stuff in here and there isn't a door to close. But, uh, Hopefully you can hear this pretty well. So this episode was unplanned, is unplanned. Um, I feel like it's something that I need to do for myself because I'm struggling right now. Um, So I might get emotional, but that's okay. Emotions are real. Uh, I know that I mentioned this in the first episode ever, that uh, I was sexually abused when I was younger and that basically like uh, I don't want to say has everything to do with my life but it has a lot to do with who I am as a person and how I grew up and what I struggle with and um, yeah so um just to kind of give a backstory on that, my mom uh, divorced my dad when I was two, 
she got remarried when I was around five to a terrible, terrible human being who was, um, he was younger than her. I don't know, but I did the math recently. He was like 25 when I was like five or six. So, um, he was younger. Um, he was an alcoholic and an abusive, abusive person. He almost killed my mom like twice. And by when I say almost, I'm not over exaggerating. Like he almost killed her. Uh, and he sexually abused me for three years while they were married. And, um, of course my mom did not know. So, um, I did not come forward with this information until I was in ninth grade. And, um, once I started to talk about it, it became more apparent in my life how much it fucked me up because I was getting older and starting to realize how wrong it was. And it, um, like, you know, it changed how I did everything in my day-to-day life. It changed how I act around boys and authority figures and confrontation and, um, trying to get people to like me and using my body to get people to like me. And it pretty much dictated everything that I did in my life. I didn't know it at the time. Now I know it, but I didn't know it at the time. And, um, so when it came forward, my mom took me to the, um, sheriff's department and I had to make a statement and I had to pick him out of a, like a, a lineup, not like a physical lineup, like where real people stand up right in front of you, but like uh, pictures of all of these people with his name. And I knew obviously which one it was and I told them. And then a couple of days later, they sent someone to, at that time we were living at my aunt's house. They sent a, a sheriff to that house and I had to um, give a, a in-depth detail of every abuse that had ever happened to me from him. And at that point I had never said that out loud. Um, my mom had never heard. Uh, so my mom was in the other room listening to this and I can't imagine how horrible that was for her to hear that. And, um, sorry, not sorry, but I'm getting emotional. So just so you know, um, So I had to, um, explain what had happened to me and hold on, I'm going to take a breath. (sighs) Okay. So I had to explain everything that happened to me in depth, um, from what I could remember. And like I said, it started when I was five and ended when I was like seven, eight, So, um, I mean, I still remember things very vividly, but I don't remember like how things led up to things or, um, all of the times that it happened. I just knew what time of day it happened, where it happened, what exactly happened. Um, I remember the very first time it happened. I remember what he said. I remember what he said to me if I ever told anyone, I remember, um, everything. So I said that, and then a couple, I don't remember this timeline, but a little bit later, um, it had to have been 
not that soon because at the next time that something had happened, like police wise, my mom and I were living in an apartment on our own. Um, and so this time my dad had came and a detective had came to the house and, um, like wiretapped my phone so that they could record the conversation and I could call him and try to get him to confess on the phone. So, um, he did not answer when I first called and, uh, it showed my mom's address or, you know, a caller ID. It showed my mom's caller ID. So he didn't answer, but I left a voicemail and he called back within like literally like 10 seconds. He called back and he was like, so kind, obviously not genuinely kind, but he was like, how are you? Oh my gosh. It's so good to hear you. And I, Oh, I wish I had, I wish I had the voice that I have now, but back then I was 15 and maybe 16 at the time, but, um, I was a very scared little girl at that time. I was a young woman, but I was, I was, I mean, still my little girl comes out. My little girl is coming out this morning. That's why I needed to do this for me. I don't even know if I'm going to upload this, but I need to do this for me. Um, so he was kind and, um, I told him that I was struggling. Mind you, there's a person in front of me with like a script that I'm supposed to be saying. And this was totally went about the wrong way. I had like no time to prepare. This was very, um, it, they just didn't handle it the right way. I would totally do this differently if I could talk to someone and, and, if I could get someone to do what I was in my position, I would have done this so differently. Um, they weren't, uh, empathetic at all. They were not, it was very like robotic and like, okay, you're going to do this and you're going to say this and you're going to get them to say this and you can't talk like this and you got to keep them on the phone. And like, you're talking to someone who's never done this before. This is obviously extremely traumatic and it was just so robotic and I can understand why nothing really gets resolved in these kinds of matters because people don't know how to deal with how sensitive the subject matter is and it's just so frustrating um how it was handled and anyways so I had told him that I was struggling because now I'm a teenager this was not my um idea to say these things, right? So this is what the detective is telling me to say. That I'm struggling as a teenager to date and have successful relationships because of what he had done to me. And he was like, what did I do to you? And I said explicitly, like, you molested me and you basically did everything to me except for have sex with me you you've taken all of my innocence you've taken all of my firsts away except for sex and I can't do any of that that was true and all of that was true and um he was like I don't remember doing that I don't think that that happened I'm sorry that you think that that happened and then I kept saying it and he called me crazy and um that word at that point really fucked with me and so I uh couldn't do it anymore and I hung up the phone and I uh 
ran away, essentially. <laughs> I ran away for a couple hours. I didn't tell anyone where I was going. And, um, yeah, I ran away for a couple hours and come back and my dad was gone and I don't really remember, uh, what really happened after that. Uh, nothing came of it because he denied it. Um, nothing came of it. So, uh, that's all I really remember from then. Uh, my mom had told me a story and I later found out that it was not true or maybe she made it up in her mind and thought it was true. I don't know really what her, um, thought process on that of telling me was uh, that happened. I think she was trying to make me feel better, but anyways, it wasn't true. Um, fast forward to years later and I, obviously I, I talk about so much now. I am an open book. I, that's how I process things. Um, after years and years of abusing myself with alcohol and un- inappropriate sex and fighting and just really uh, not good behavior, not co- not really good coping behaviors, uh, I have done a lot of processing. I've done coaching. I've done therapy. I've done breath work. I've done meditation. I've done a lot of somatic work. I've done so much to connect with the trauma and, and my body to release what I need to. And, um, I needed to get to that point because I had struggled so much with anxiety and depression. And although there were things that happened in my life since then, um, a majority of the time when I ever get depressed or have anxiety, it always comes back to that, my childhood. It always comes back to feeling like I have to do something else than just be me for people to like me or for me to feel safe. I feel like I have to change who I am inside or on the outside to feel safe in my environment or in my um, body and, uh, to finally find someone who I feel safe with, like Levi, um, that'll be a whole other episode. You know, for a long time, I didn't feel safe in our environment because he was an alcoholic. Not that he was an abusive alcoholic, but he, I mean, sometimes he was a, a verbally abusive, but he was not physically abusive. Um, I didn't feel safe and it kind of felt like I was in the same, um, Sometimes it felt like I was in the same uh, environment as I was as a child. Or um, if I'm ever around men by myself, I feel like I have to like flirt with them to get by so that they're like not abusive to me, which is so wrong on so many levels. Um, so I just choose to never be alone with women or with men Um Obviously, if you're listening to that and you're like, oh, hello, you're married. You shouldn't be alone with men anyways. Like, I'm talking in, like, work situations and whatever. Like, I don't like to be in closed spaces with men ever unless I feel very safe with them. And that can, and sometimes I, even if I know that they love me and that they're people, if they're under the influence, I don't feel safe around men ever, no matter who they are. Um, anyways, I don't know why I went down that rabbit hole, but, oh, okay. So 
once I found safety in that, I started to be able to find safety in myself and then, um, you know, kind of made my life be about helping people to, to do the same feeling, um, feeling their emotions and digging through what's actually there. Why are your, why are you doing these destructive behaviors on a cycle? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a cycle and you have to break it, but you can't break it until you know what you're doing. For so long, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I had. Maybe I knew what I was doing, but I didn't know why I was doing it. I didn't know what need I was trying to meet. I didn't know that I was actually hurting myself rather than protecting myself. Because you learn these behaviors at such a young age. And this can happen even if you're not sexually abused or abused in any way. You you learn certain behaviors as a child because they are your protectors when you're younger and you could have had a great childhood, but maybe, maybe your, your parents just aren't very loving people, or maybe they just don't know how to love you in the way that you needed or wanted. That doesn't mean that they don't love you, but maybe they were just super serious and, and had really busy jobs and you used humor to get attention or you would, get purposely hurt or accidents so that you could get attention, you know? Um, and then that carried on into your adulthood and you're realizing that you're doing the same things, but you don't even realize you're doing it. And it's because you learned that and it worked for you as a child, but now as an adult, it's not working for you. So you have to find another, uh, another another coping coping mechanism to get your need met and that's why some adults turn to alcohol and drugs and other bad behavior because they switch to just another coping mechanism but they're not really getting to the bottom of why they're trying to do that in the first place so that became my mission to just help other people while I was helping myself and I think that's why people get into what they do is um essentially doing it for them. They're doing it, you know, it's hard not to do something for yourself. I think it would be incredibly naive to say that people do things solely for other people because, um, I think that that's just not true, but anyways, so, uh, that was my, goal to help other people. And so the more I processed my stuff, the better I got. And yeah. Okay. So I'm still getting off topic. I'm sorry. Um, so recently, um, because I have done so much work on myself and, um, this was around the same time that I had made the decision to have gastric sleeve surgery because I had done so much work on myself mentally that I was like, okay, I'm done being in this body. It, it worked for me. I am 
loving myself, but now I really want to like love myself how I see myself in my head. So I made the decision to have that. And, um, right as I made that decision, I started to think of this whole Jeremy situation and, um, started writing down, I actually started writing a book of everything. Um, and it was very, very explicit and in-depth, and I don't know if it will ever see the light of day because I don't know if people actually want to read something like that as uh, from a child's point of view. But uh, as I started to write the book, I realized that I wanted to see if I could reopen the case because I did not know what the outcome of was. So after they had come to the house when I was 16, I, I genuinely did not know what had came up, up of it. So I think either my parents just didn't want to tell me because they were scared of my mental health or what I was going to do or whatever. Um, but they made the choice to not tell me. So I didn't know. So I thought that I would be able to reopen the case. So from here, from Italy, I had called uh, the Santa Clarita Sheriff's Department and um, found the, called the uh, SVU unit and talked to somebody. And she had told me that the detective that was on the case had retired and that she read his notes And essentially, I had nothing, I had no feet to stand on. I had nothing to do. I couldn't do anything because the case was closed. Um, After he, after the the detective had came to my house and I hung up because he called me crazy. um, Apparently, Jeremy had came in to the uh, sheriff's department and did a lie detector test. And completely failed the lie detector test and uh I'm trying to remember the timeline um maybe that didn't happen yet anyway so the DA had said that there was nothing to go on anymore because he had already said no and there was no other evidence other than my word. Um, however, there was a history of abuse and he had already been to jail and they definitely could have done something more. Anyways, so they decided that there was nothing to do. But the detective went to Palm Springs because he lived in Palm Springs, uh, went to Palm Springs and tried to find him. And that's where they did the lie detector test and he failed. And once he failed, he panicked and like went missing. So the tech detective went there and went back to the DA and was like, this guy's MIA. This guy just failed the lie detector test. Like, I really think we have something to go on here. And the DA still said, no, we're not going to open up this case again. It's dead. He's innocent. So there's that. So all in this one I think it was like 24 hours that I had started writing this book. And I wrote like, I think I wrote like 40,000 words. Um, No, not 40,000. I'm sorry, like 4,000 words. 
of of trying to do this. Maybe it was for whatever. I wrote started writing this fucking book, got the balls to to try and reopen this case, called made a hold stink, told Levi my plan, told my mom because I had to get the the case number about it and and all of it it all got shot down in like a matter of 48 hours. So I was like, what the fuck? Oh, and in the midst of this, I had messaged Jeremy's sister, because at one point when I was in the Navy, Jeremy's sister, oh, this is important. When I was in the Navy, Jeremy's sister had met, uh, no, I messaged her. I'm sorry that this is so out of whack because I'm obviously just not in the right headspace, but this is how I process shit. So go with me. When I was in the Navy, I got drunk one night because that's how I process things. I would get drunk and cry. Uh, I got drunk one night by myself in my barracks room and I messaged Jeremy's sister and um, told her what he had done to me. And at that point, she did not receive it well. She kind of said, I'm sorry that you think that that happened. Um, I never saw any abuse from you. You always seemed like you were such a happy child. And then um, I didn't want to talk to her again. Well, she reached out to me like a year later after that and said that he had remarried, they have a daughter, and that the wife was trying to get away and that I, uh, that if I could help them, that it would be really great because she thinks that what happened to me might be happening to their daughter. Well, at that point, Cecily circa 2011 was not as healed healed as she is now. And um, I told her f- for my mental health that I could not be a part of it and I didn't want to talk to her. But if she wanted to, that there was a case that had been opened in Santa Clarita in 2006 or 2004, and um, she could go off of that. And that was the last time I had talked to her. So in this 48 hours of deciding that I wanted to reopen the case, I had messaged her, his sister, and said, just so you know, I'm planning on reopening this case. I had also reached out to Jeremy's now ex-wife because my mom had told me that she reached out to her years and years and years ago. And because I had told my mom that I was reopening, she had given me this new information. So my mom had her email. So I had emailed her and I told her who I was and um, that I what my plan was and that I had messaged her his sister and she said, you shouldn't have done that um, because she's back on the Jeremy bandwagon. She, she supports him again. She, she supports him again. And so um, I went back to look at the message. It was on Facebook message. I went back to look at the message and she had just, you could see she had seen it, but she didn't respond to it. And so I just deleted the message. And um, even though she had already seen it, she, I deleted it. And so then I was, um, so then after I had gotten the shutdown from the police station that I couldn't do anything, the police officer did tell me that the only way that anything could happen was if someone comes forward in the future, they can use my case to corroborate their story. 
that's the only way that I can be helpful. But I can't reopen a case. I can't do anything like that. So um, I was talking to his ex-wife and he was, she was telling me about their daughter and how she's worried about her. And she was telling me some stuff that had happened. And I said that, um, not sexual stuff that had happened, but uh, just verbal things and physical things and scenarios. And they were all like exactly the same. And I was like, I mean, yeah, it sounds exactly what he used to say to me. He is manipulative and it's, it's the same story, just different people. And here I am, not a five-year-old, not a 16-year-old, but a 33-year-old with an old, her own family and a safe environment. So I felt stronger. I felt like I could handle this. I felt like I could do this. And I can. I can. And I'm doing it. But it's it, it catches up with me sometimes. And it caught up with me this morning. And it's catching up with me now. Um, but I know that the universe has my back. And that's why I wanted to say this episode because I think it's important to remember. So I'm bringing it full circle. So um, his ex-wife had asked me to write a letter because Jeremy had wanted to take her back to court just because he's a piece of shit. He wanted to take her back to court to get custody of this sweet girl who is now a teenager and is my age, which fucked with me even more. Um, so I wrote this letter that was, uh, not describing in detail what he did, but describing scenarios and describing, um, in a vague way, not in a vague way. I, I put it in words what he did, but I didn't do like explicit details, um, of what he did. And I put it in like a one and a half page letter. Uh, I had some people read it. I had my cousin, who's a lawyer, read it to make sure that it sounded um, good. And, and and it didn't sound just like some emotional person trying to get their point across. I wanted it to sound professional and also like, you know, this is what happened. So um, I ha- I wrote this letter for her so that she could bring that to the courts to help her case. And that was a couple of months ago. And um, she had reached out to me like a week ago and said uh, that the court was happening like this week. And so I've kind of been antsy and anxious. And um, so it happened. And I've been waiting to hear from her to see if something was going to happen. And... um, I was also really nervous for him to know that I have anything to do with that. Not that I like have any say of what happens, but like the fact that I have um, like added my two cents into that, I feel like that would totally piss him off. And the fact that like he's a real person still, because when I thought about him, it would, it was like this monster from my past and the fact that I I am talking to people that have to deal with him on a regular basis makes him still real. And I think that that's why it's been triggering this little girl inside of me because um, I have to constantly remind myself that he is not in my current life right now. He's not in my 
field. He's not, he has no power over me. Um, although sometimes it feels like he does. And this morning he did a little bit, his memory, his, uh, essence, I guess, still had a power over me. And, um, I found out this morning that nothing changed and, um, he still gets to visit her and, um, he was asking for full custody, so that's good. He does not have her for full custody, but he still gets to see her. And this girl still has to be around him and be just in his area. I can't imagine. I can't imagine how it feels for her because she is older. Um, at least with me, I was very young. Uh, so when I got older, I wasn't still in the situation. I was doing not so good behaviors, but at least I wasn't in it anymore. I can't imagine still being in it and not really being out of it enough to know that it's wrong being out of it enough to realize that even though you love your father, it's wrong and he's hurting you. And I, that, that really fucks with me. Um, and I don't want her to be a 33-year-old just now realizing how wrong it is. And I don't want her to suffer more than she already has. And hearing that nothing changed just made me feel like what I had to say still doesn't matter because it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything in her life. It doesn't change anything in my life. It doesn't change anything in the ex-wife's life. And it doesn't change anything in his life. He still gets to walk around like nothing. He did nothing wrong. Like he doesn't just take people's innocence and harm them. And it's just so wrong. And I have this disgusting piece of shit uncle who is a convicted felon, convicted, I actually don't know if he raped her or not, but I know that he's in prison right now, but because of what he went to prison for, he's in like where all of the rapists and molesters are, so they get like special treatment so that people don't kill them, and then he gets to get out on good behavior. Like this is the kind of shit that's happening in the system. Where, like, people know that this is happening and you get off on good behavior. Like, what the fuck? You get off on good behavior or you just don't go to jail. And you just get to keep going. With no repercussions. And I know karma's a thing and I know karma's gonna come around. 
But when things like this happen where there's like actual evidence and and stories and so much that you can go off on and people are choosing to ignore it, it just infuriates me and it makes me so sad and makes me feel like what I have to say is not fucking important and and that's the hurt me that says that that's the hurt me that says that that's the little girl that says that that wasn't listened to and um it's frustrating and the reason why I say I wanted to do this and the reason why I said that I know that the universe has my back is because when I get into these funks of woe is me and I'm depressed and thinking about everything that happened to me or happened to other people, maybe because of me, like maybe if I were stronger when I was 16, he could have been convicted then and then this wouldn't have happened at all or what. But I can't think like that because that's not how it happened. And um, I think back to the book called The Four Agreements. Uh, one of the four agreements, well, all four of them are do your best, be impeccable with your word, don't take anything personal. And I can't remember the other one, but I think of don't take anything personal. And when stuff like this happens... I am taking it personal. I'm taking it personal. I'm, I I just said it makes me feel like I'm not being heard. And that's okay for me to feel like that, but that's not the truth. That The truth is that in some fucking awful way that this is the journey that all of us have to go on to fucking learn something. I don't fucking know, but that's... That's the the universal truth is that it is what it is. I can't do anything about it and I can't take it personal. I, I, not I can't. But I can do whatever I want. And I did take it personal for a little bit. That's why I'm doing this, obviously. But then um, in my other destructive behavior that I do, I just go on in the internet and, and scroll. And as I was scrolling, I saw this thing that said... Once you can, once you master self-control and detachment, no one can phase you. And I just stared at that for a second. And I had a voice in my head saying, like, this is important. This, you should talk about this. And I had another voice in my head say, detach yourself from taking this personal because this is nothing to do with you. You did what you needed to do. You said what you needed to say. You spoke your truth. What he did is not my fault. What he is doing to them and other people is not my fault. It's nobody's fault but his. And I try my hardest to try and have some compassion for him because he was abused when he was younger too. However, he made the choice to not break that cycle and he continuously makes that choice to not break that cycle because I fucking broke the cycle. My parents, I'm not going to say which ones because I have six of them, but 
some of my parents were abused and they chose to break the cycle. You make a choice continuously. All of us make a choice continuously to do what's right for us and right for others. And even if you don't do things for others, as long as you do the best for you, you are doing the best for others. So he is continuously making this choice to not do what's best for him by hurting others. And karma is going to come around. I know it. Hopefully with a car or something, just run him over and see that again is hurt Cecily wishing that upon him. Not really sorry for it, but I know that that's not kind. But ultimately, what I wanted to say on this episode was that practice not taking things personal, practice detachment, listen to the signs in your life. It's okay to get in your feelings. You have to process them. You have to be able to maybe not talk them through. That That's what works for me. If it doesn't work for you, find another way that works for you. Do a voice note. Do some journaling. Sit there in your thoughts. But do what's best for you. And you know what's best for you ultimately. Once you start to trust yourself enough, you know what's best for you. Um, my stomach is growling, so I think I need to eat or drink something. But I wanted to explain what's going on with me. And I think that this is important to kind of show a little bit of what's going on in people's lives that you never know. Um, when things come up for you that bring you distress and disappointment and hardship and depression and anxiety, be in your feels for a little bit. Go ahead. Do it. Do what feels right in that moment. If it feels right to scream, scream. If you need to punch something, punch a pillow. Go work out. Find someone that you trust. If you don't have someone that you trust, there are anonymous like therapy people that you can reach out to. Journal. Go for a walk. Be in your feels. Cry. Be mad. And then when you feel that little glimpse of a little bit of breath, start to ask yourself, does this really have anything to do with me? Detach yourself from it a little bit even just a little bit, and try and see the bigger picture. I promise you, you'll feel a little bit better. I'm not saying that I'm fucking rainbows and sunshine right now, because it's probably going to fuck with me for a little bit. But I do know, I do know the ultimate truth is that I did everything that I could. And I continuously do everything that I can that's best for me.
And if it's not best for me in the moment, you can always write it in the next moment. You can always write your wrong in the next moment. People might not forgive you, but you can forgive yourself. Forgiveness is for you, not for anybody else. I think I'm going to do an episode about coping mechanisms and things that you learn. Now I'm just talking out of my ass. Uh, I hope that this helped somebody. If not, I'm sorry you had to listen to me mumble about things. But it helped me. I feel, I do feel better. And, um, if you were or are being abused in any way, it is not your fault. And I know that I said I don't want her to be 33 and just finally realize, but there's no timeline. You can be at any age and heal from whatever It's okay if it's the day after it happened. It's okay if it's the day before you die. But there's no timeline on dealing with your emotions and dealing with trauma. The sooner you realize it, the the quicker you can live your life the way that you deserve to. But I don't want people to think that I... um, think that there's a timeline for it so um if this did trigger anyone um please reach out to me and I am an open ear and I will help you out in any way that I can um I yeah I'm gonna end it there okay have a great day thank you for listening and I will see you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want any more information from my opinions or just what I've been through, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Sleeved and Spiritual. Just a reminder, I am not a doctor. This is all from my point of view. Please consult your doctors, your loved ones, people you can trust before making any rash decisions. I hope you have an amazing day and I can't wait to have you around again. Bye.